You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. It's book review day, and we're talking about how to change. I love a good, obvious title. You know what you're getting when you pick the book up. This book is by Katie Milkman, who is actually a colleague of Angela Duckworth, who wrote Grit, which I reviewed in episode 118. And something I was noticing recently is that I've been reading so many sort of similar books for the podcast, and a lot of the content has just gotten kind of infused into my brain where I'm reading it now, and it's not as monumental or eye-opening as it was, you know, as it once was. It's more of like, well, yeah, of course. And I was thinking about what an interesting shift that is and really just how important it is to, I picked up this this term in a, a podcast recently, pollute your brain with positivity. And it's something I know a lot of our clients do where they'll just kind of immerse themselves in any time they're taking a walk or commuting or doing chores, they're popping in a group call replay or this podcast or a training module and or you know another similar type thing and just what a difference that really does make over time what you allow into your brain really does matter and the more you hear these seemingly repetitious things the more you just start to believe that that is you know that is true that is how the world works so obviously that's kind of a double edged sword you have to be careful about what you're letting in but there's so much value in the, the repetition, I guess, that you don't need to be listening to the exact same thing over and over, but a similar kind of vibe where I've read so many books that talk about some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today, temptation bundling and support and things like that, that one way to look at it is kind of the brush off. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know this already. Like, where's the good stuff? Where's what I don't know? Where's the secret? But on the other hand, the way to look at it is, okay, I already know the secrets and this is just reinforcing them. Now it's a matter of asking myself, how well am I living these things? So anyway, that was uh, just something I was thinking about as I was reviewing for this call. So the book, pretty easy read, not a ton that uh, that I want to go over, but I want to kind of give you, mm, what is this, like seven, seven, yes. <laughs> good accounting, um, seven kind of overarching takeaways. And then I'll dive a little bit into each one of them. So again, the, the title of the book, how to change the whole point of the book is helping the reader learn how to make lasting changes. That's not specific to any one area of your life, but it's applicable to all of them. So she uses a lot of health and fitness references. She and her colleagues have done a lot of studies on increasing the number of times that people go to the gym in a set period of time by you know use, using different incentives and things like that. And then how well do those habits stick longer term based on you know how the habits were built in the first place, that sort of thing. So a lot of it is going to be geared towards the health and fitness, obviously, but you can also think a little bit bigger picture, a little bit broader in terms of how would this apply to another area where I want to change. Maybe I want to start being more assertive at work and less, you know, timid or just kind of like letting things letting things go when you shouldn't. Maybe it's getting better at setting boundaries. Maybe it's speaking up for yourself. Maybe it's running for some sort of, you know, public office or school board or whatever. 
all of this is universally applicable to any change you're wanting to make. So I'll give you the seven things and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into them. So again, with going into this, with the mindset, not of, yeah, yeah, I've heard all of this, boring, what else is there? But more so, okay, great. This is not new to me. So I already have a, a decent base of knowledge with this. How am I going to deepen that knowledge? And more importantly, how am I going to actually implement it in my life? And even if that's just picking one of these things and saying, okay, you know, I might be doing pretty well in some of those areas, but this is one I haven't tried yet, or I could do better at, or could just use some more attention. So number one, make the long-term goal that you're working towards more enjoyable in the moment. Use self-imposed constraints, create cues, build routines and track progress, get and give advice, cultivate your social circle, and be vigilant. So these are my um, paraphrases of kind of each chapter breakdown. So one of the things that you know, again, is sort of very obvious to all of us who have tried to change is that doing, you know, the quote unquote right thing, doing the thing that is aligned with our long-term goal is very often not very satisfying in the short term. In fact, what we want in the short term, that instant gratification is generally in opposition to our long-term goal. So rather than trying to make the pursuit of that goal more enjoyable in the moment, a lot of us try to just use willpower and discipline alone. We just tell ourselves like, well, this won't be too hard. I'll just do the thing when, you know, whenever I'm faced with this temptation, I will just not be tempted. I'll just do, you know, do what I need to anyway. And we all know that that is rarely how it goes. So we're more likely to be successful if we stop overestimating our willpower and our focus on the end goal. And we spend more energy on figuring out how can I make this thing that feels like a chore more enjoyable right now? And one of the tips is something that I've referenced before because it's such a good idea and it's so easy to implement is temptation bundling. When you pair something that you enjoy with something that you know you should do or you know that is going to help you get the result that you want. And this is something she says that people who are busiest or have the most commitments will benefit the most from because when you're when your life is very scheduled, it can often feel like you're choosing between something enjoyable and just another kind of responsibility. So think about a lot of you are really busy working moms who from the minute a tiny person wakes you up in the morning until, you know, they finally go to bed at what, eight, nine o'clock, you are, you're feeling like you're performing or living for other people, your, your kids, your job, etc. So then by the time all the, you know, the kids are in bed, and now it's time for you to pack your lunch for the next day or get in a workout. It feels like doing either of those things means sacrificing a little bit of reading or a little bit of time on the couch or something that you feel like you you need to unwind and to relax and that you deserve for getting through such a long, busy day. So busy people are especially prone to feeling like this thing that I want to do or the thing that I want to accomplish long term is at odds with what I really feel like I want right now. So figuring out, okay, what is the thing that would be relaxing or enjoyable? Is it that I want to you know, scroll social media? Do I want to watch some show on Netflix? How can I pair the thing I want to be doing with the thing that like I really do need to get done and actually is in my best interest? So I've used this example before, but 
taking your laptop into the kitchen and watching your show while you prep or pack your lunches or pack the kids' lunches or whatever. If necessary, hop on your Peloton and scroll social media at the same time. Not every workout you do needs to be you being 100% focused and going all out. And especially if you're just working on establishing the habit in the first place, step number one is you just get on that bike consistently. And if that means you lure yourself there with promises of TikToks and Instagram reels, that's fine. Because at some point you are going, you're likely to kind of reach a point where the social media is less enticing. You're like, yeah, yeah, I can, you know, I look at that all the time. Let me, even just for this song, let me like put the phone down and really focus on doing the intervals on this song. And then I can go back to scrolling. So sometimes you just need to get in the groove first. And then from there, you know, weaning yourself off of the, the thing you've bundled it with might not feel as necessary. And then another way to make more enjoyable the thing that you might be dreading is gamification. So figuring out how to add game-like features that make it more fun, more engaging, um, less monotonous. This is kind of the epitome of like a step bet or doing an Apple, I don't have an Apple watch, so I don't even know the terminology very well, but like an Apple ring challenge where, you know, maybe it's you and your immediate family or your coworkers or even strangers on the internet where you're committed to doing a certain amount to support the team, or you're trying to beat, you know, a cousin across the country, whatever it is, something that turns it from, ugh, I gotta like go pace around the kitchen to get some extra steps in to, okay, how can I, how can I move a little bit more today? Maybe I will take the laundry up in, you know, two separate trips, things like that. So figure out how can I make it more of a game? Something when I was a fitness manager at a Boston sports club, oh, I'll date myself, um, back in, when was I there? 2008 to 2011, we did a, a walking challenge and it was in anticipation of opening day of Red Sox season. So obviously you guys know like the rivalry between the Sox and the Yankees. We created this giant map that, you know, was to scale of like, you know, an inch is like a certain number of miles. So it was the distance from Fenway to Yankee Stadium and participants would log miles every day of the challenge and try to walk that distance by the time opening day hit. So something like that is something you could do yourself. Maybe you have a vacation coming up and it's, you know, however many miles away and you say, okay, before then, maybe it's, maybe it's 3000 miles. You're like, okay, I'm going to walk the equivalent of, you know, depends how, how far away it is or, you know, how long from now, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to walk one mile for every 10 miles to that place, that sort of thing. Um, so there's so many ways to get creative with it, but that can make the drudgery feel a lot more fun. Okay, next one, using self-imposed constraints. So this one she refers to as commitment devices, and they are self-imposed that help you avoid temptation and basically like reduce your freedoms in service of this greater goal. And what they basically do is lock us into the choices that we make when we're clear-headed about what's good for us, rather than reacting to an imminent temptation. So we've all been in this position where when you go to bed at night or you wake up in the morning, it's very, okay, I'm going to use go to bed at night because that's, there's such an easy example here. When you go to bed at night, you're like, okay, I know that I've hit snooze the last, you know, 57 out of 60 days, but tomorrow I'm going to have no problem. I'm just going to get up when the alarm goes off and I'm going to do my workout and it's not going to be a thing. We all know that very seldom can we just like make that switch immediately and it's just smooth sailing. We wake up like ready to go. So 
a commitment device might be something very simple, like just putting your alarm out of reach so that you have to get up and turn it off. And then once you do, you know, immediately put the covers back on the bed and go splash some cold water in your face and you're up. If you need to, maybe one of those extreme alarm clocks that like rolls itself off the, the, you know, the surface and starts like rolling around the room and you need to catch it or you need to like do a math problem to shut it off or it's like super loud and obnoxious. Like whatever, you know, that is something that will in the moment, the temptation is going to be, I want to stay in bed and hit snooze. But if you have self-imposed this thing that now that's no longer a viable option, you have, boom, you've pre-committed yourself to, I'm going to follow through and do that thing. Other examples are where you kind of, you can do this in a number of different ways, but there are like those diet bets where you put some money in and you lose it if you don't do X or you get to share the pot if you do Y. There are people who will say, you know, I'm going to put this amount of money in, you know, an, an account or something, and I'm going to give my friend the authority to, at the end of this challenge, donate it to my least favorite charity or to something that I don't actually support, something that is going to hurt to lose um, and kind of basically increases the price of the unwanted behavior or imposes restrictions that discourage you from that unwanted behavior. So the ones I talked about are more are like hard commitments. She also refers to soft commitments where you're paying a psychological price for failure. So for example, she talked about with trying to get people to conserve electricity and things like that, signing a pledge and the the difference that it makes if, you know, other people in your neighborhood have signed the pledge, if it's a public pledge or it's something you do privately, that sort of thing, where if you're someone who values your integrity and keeping your word, then you're like, oh, shoot, I signed that pledge. Like, I guess I should just do the thing. Um, and something really interesting that she talks about is, I guess, when you hear it, you'll be like, well, yeah, duh. Um, but I thought it was really interesting is that most people don't realize the value of commitment devices or are naive to how much we need them. That we just, again, like I was saying earlier, we overestimate our ability to avoid temptation with willpower alone. So you might already know, like, oh, this is me. If you are someone who tells yourself, well, I'll just do better next time. I don't need to put any sort of like constraints in place. I don't need any sort of system or accountability or consequence. I'll just do better, but then better comes and you don't do better. Then you might want to think about a commitment device. Again, it doesn't need to be financial, it doesn't need to be psychological. There are a lot of different ways that you can put these constraints in place. <laughs> a very, very obvious one is um, you may have seen on various social media places those little, uh, what are they called? Vaults where you can put foods that you don't want to be eating, or you could put your cell phone if you don't want to be on it, and it locks from you know, X time in the evening till X time in the morning. So you put whatever thing in there, it locks, and then you just can't get at it until the next day. That's a commitment device. You have put a self-imposed constraint on yourself to avoid a temptation that is going to then make it easier for you to reach that goal that's important to you. Okay, so the next one, create cues. So something that she talks about is how so many people flake on what they say they're going to do. And that as much as it sounds like a just straight up excuse, that forgetting is actually really common and that we forget half of what we've heard or what we've learned within 20 minutes. <laughs> so by the time I get to the end of this podcast, you'll have forgotten what I said in the beginning. So that doesn't feel great. 
and that we forget 70% within 24 hours. I can certainly say this is true for me, where I'll be trying to explain something I, I read recently or heard in a podcast recently to Gray, and I'll start talking, and I'll be like, ah, I actually, I, mm, I'm missing like a lot of the... <laughs> A lot of the important stuff here, I really can't remember. I I remember I learned something interesting. I can no longer relay it to you. Sorry for all of this. Um, so I think we can relate to that. So she talks about how, <clears throat> excuse me, reminders are useful, but they have limitations. And you've probably noticed this yourself where you set reminders in your phone to drink water or to do some breath work or to get up and take a you know, five minutes stretch break. And then the alarm goes off and you're like, I'm literally in the middle of something. I can't right now. So you just ignore it. So the reminders work much better if we can act on them immediately. So she talks about setting an implementation intention, which is really a mouthful of alliteration that basically boils down to making a plan for doing the thing and having a specific cue that reminds you to do it. So when blank happens, I'll do blank. This is, you know, essentially habit stacking. So one that I have probably mentioned before is when I started taking creatine. That's a new thing in my routine. So I don't exactly know where it's going to fit into my day. I know I want to be taking it consistently, but how do I remember? So I put it right above the sink. So when I'm bringing our dinner dishes to the sink, I see it there and then I remember to take it. So that's, that's the cue. When dinner is over and I bring the dishes to the sink, I'll take my creatine. Um, I recently started adding a, voice, a, face, <laughs> a face moisturizer to my post-shower, my, my evening post-shower routine. So when I put in my mouthwash, I get the lotion out so I can put it on my face once I'm done with my teeth. So things like that, just taking the the trigger that you are already, the the cue that you're already doing and adding the new thing to it. Obviously, yes, there is going to be that element of, well, I keep forgetting to do it. And that's where, you know, something like a a post-it on, you know, right above the sink could be like, you know, take me pointing to the creatine or something like that. Um, I could put a post it on my mouthwash that says like, don't forget your face lotion, things like that. So yes, you are going to have to remember in the moment, but using visual cues can help a ton there or put the face lotion right next to the mouthwash so that there it is, Um, things like that. But it can really help to um, increase the likelihood that you actually do the thing. Um, And then she also mentioned that when you have a detailed plan, you're more likely to remember it and actually do it. And that's because it takes time and effort to create. So if you give yourself, you know, whatever it is, 10, 15 minutes to sit down and think, okay, what is the change I'm trying to make? And, you know, how am I going to make it happen? The more detailed you are with that of like, instead of, oh yeah, I'll take it, I'll take, I'll, I'll take my vitamin in the morning, but more so, okay, like what's my current routine? I wake up, I go to the bathroom, I brush my teeth, I brush my hair, I go downstairs, I start the coffee and then figuring out, okay, where can I insert this new thing into that already existing routine? And once you visualized it with as much detail as possible, then it's going to be that much easier to remember it when the time comes. Number four, build routines and track progress. So again, I know that this can feel very vanilla, where it's like, okay, yeah, cool. If you want to change, build a routine. Yeah, got it. But like easier said than done. So you're right. It's our tendency to take the path of least resistance, which can actually be an asset. 
I've mentioned before that we all have sort of default thoughts, default behaviors, which are the outcomes that get delivered if another option is not actively chosen, right? So most of us, at least in recent years, use the default ringtone on our phones, not because it's like the favorite melody we've ever heard. It's just what comes on the phone. It's just easier to keep that than to figure out where do I have to go in my phone settings to change it? And then like, do I like any of the options and our ringback's still a thing? And um, so we go, we, we just take the path of least resistance. It's good enough. It alerts me. It's probably going to be on silent anyway, so it doesn't really matter, but you get where I'm coming from. Um, but at the end of the day, when you set up your defaults wisely and intentionally, you can end up making those good decisions more effortlessly. So habits are that. Habits are our brain's default setting. And in order to make a new habit and create this routine, you just need to drill that behavior over and over and over again and practice it until it becomes second nature. And I think a lot of us are really hard on ourselves where we feel like, well, I have drilled it a bunch of times and it doesn't feel like second nature. Well, then you haven't drilled it enough times. You don't have enough reps of that action for it to become the default. And I know, I know that kind of sucks. Sorry about that. Um, but when you really zoom out and think logically rather than emotionally, it makes sense. Think about the behaviors that most of us are trying to change. If you look at how many times you have done your current default, how many times you have beelined to the pantry as soon as all the kids have gone to bed, we're probably talking hundreds, maybe thousands, depending on how old your kids are. And now you have, you know, two, three weeks or two, three months of not doing that under your belt. And you feel like it's supposed to only take a couple months to build a habit. Why doesn't this feel easier? Well, because you have thousands of check marks in the other column that has created a really deep groove in your brain that this is the default. So what do you need to do? What's wrong with you? Nothing. What you need to do is stay consistent. Keep doing the new thing. Drill those reps over and over and over and over and over again until eventually you tip the scales. And it may take years. And that's just the reality of it. I think we need to accept that. The time is going to pass anyway. So you might as well pass the time making those daily choices that are getting you closer to that new default. It's the same thing with our default thoughts where you know most of us have a relatively negative inner monologue or when something goes wrong you immediately go to the doom and gloom I'm a failure I'm you know this is hopeless etc and then you wonder why correcting yourself a few times or doing some you know mantras while you stand in a power pose in the mirror hasn't changed everything because how many times have you thought that other thing and how many times have you thought the new thing you just haven't balanced it out yet and the only way to balance it out and to create that new default is to keep going and to keep drilling that new thing so the more you repeat the action and receive the reward of it that, you know, either you feel good or you don't feel bad, um, then the more automatic those behaviors are going to come. And to reiterate, probably for the millionth time on this podcast, that the people who you think have a lot of self-control and willpower very mostly just have good habits. And yeah, having some self-control and willpower helps develop those habits sooner, but that's really what it boils down to as you eventually get to the point where it's not that it's completely thoughtless, it's just that, and I talk about this in, what episode was it that I did, How to Think Like a um, Healthy Person, episode 109, where it may not be completely effortless, but your brain just thinks through those different steps faster, thinks through how will I feel if I do, how will I feel if I don't, and it, it seems more automatic. 
If you're enjoying this episode, I want to invite you to join us in our coaching program, Gone for Good. Gone for Good is our signature 12-week coaching program designed to help you develop the confidence, commitment, and consistency necessary to make reaching your weight loss and health goals inevitable. Our three-part framework helps you learn and master the exercise nutrition big rocks, provides comprehensive support and accountability, and teaches you how to take compassionate ownership of your results. With both group and one-on-one options, we have a Gone for Good package to suit your needs and help you overcome every obstacle between you and the weight loss you're after. Whether you want to lose five pounds, 50 pounds, or 150 pounds, we can help you in Gone for Good. For all the info and to join, go to estheravant.com slash coaching. Something that I think is really important is that she talks about how stable routines are key to habit formation, but that we need to be flexible when life throws us a curveball and that too much rigidity is actually the enemy of a good habit, which again, makes sense. And she used a really applicable example of people who are trying to get into the habit of going to a gym and that when they conducted this study, she and her colleagues thought that the people who were very specific with, I will work out, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 12 p.m. for 20 minutes on the treadmill of, you know, intervals at this speed and that speed, that they would be more successful than the people who said, "Um, I'm going to do, you know, three times a week, maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, might have to switch one of those days, that sort of thing. They assumed that the people, that the more detail would be better. And although those people did show up very consistently at those times, their long-term success was lower. So their their drop-off was greater. The people who were very rigid in their plan in the long run ended up going to the gym less consistently than the people who had more flexibility in their plan, which they found surprising. And I kind of did too at first until I started reflecting on kind of my own process and realizing that back in my more black and white, all or nothing, rigid days, that's kind of what would happen to me is I would, if I wasn't able to do the thing, do the workout at the exact time in the exact way that I had intended, then it just felt like there was no other option but to just not do it and try again the next day. Whereas my approach now is a lot more flexible, as in my intention is to do A, B, and C. My preference would be to do them at this time, that time, that time. I also know that life may throw me curveballs, things that I'm not anticipating may happen for whatever reason, and it's still important to me to do what I said I was going to do. It just might look different than I was expecting. So I think that is really, really important and may come as a surprise. So she talks about how cultivating this flexibility will make your autopilot more robust. So basically, like instead of having kind of this this two-track mind of can it be done perfectly the way I intended or not, it's more nuanced. It's more living in that messy middle that I've talked about before. Um, so my advice, if you are trying to get into new routines is, as I've talked about at length with planning, The purpose of making a plan is not to expect that life is going to go 100% according to it. It's to just, A, give yourself a compass. Where am I trying to get? And B, give yourself the opportunity to think through some different scenarios. Kind of play devil's advocate with yourself. We do this with clients a lot is, you know, when we sit down and do our life ad and we we put our intentions out there. Okay, well, what happens if? And it just gets you thinking a little bit more flexibly. And I, I love when I see clients who say, you know, I would like to do 
Ideally, I would do four workouts this week, but being realistic, I'm going to shoot for three. If I get the fourth in, great, that would be nice, but it might be that I need to shift some things around and I'll for sure get in my third. I'll be flexible and do that. I'm not going to hold myself to a standard that's unrealistic. Um, Again, like with telling yourself, I'm a morning person or I can't exercise after work, you're just limiting yourself. You're making it so if things don't pan out exactly as you'd like, you just kind of throw up your hands and you're like, well, life is inspiring against me. There's nothing I can do. So working on that flexibility, I think, yes, still make the plan, still put the workouts in your calendar when you would like to get them done, especially if blocking off that time is going to help, you know, protect it. And also catch yourself, get in the habit of, of noticing when you're being too rigid. If you know you do get pulled into a meeting or you have to go pick up a sick kid at school instead of being like, well, there goes my workout time. I guess I can't do anything again. Thinking, well, okay, when's the next opportunity? I said I was going to work out today. I still can. What's that going to look like? And then kind of tacking on to that is how tracking our efforts increases the chances of actually changing our behavior. It helps us celebrate the things that we're doing and hold ourselves accountable when we're not using just a basic sticker chart, print off a blank calendar and give yourself some sort of system where you get this symbol or this color or this sticker for this behavior and see over the course of a month, how consistently am I doing what I said I would do? If you're doing it, great, celebrate it. You have the evidence right here that you're showing up and doing the things. And if you got a lot of white space on there, okay, why? What needs to change so that you follow through and do what you need to? Okay, number five. This one kind of goes hand in hand with um, with the next one, so I might get into a little bit of overlap, but this I know is going to be really relatable to damn near everybody, that you know what to do, you're just not doing it. So she talks about how a lack of self-efficacy which she defines as confidence in our ability to control our own behavior, motivation, and circumstances, prevents us from setting goals in the first place. So, and I think this is so true. And again, most of us just kind of get frustrated with ourselves, say mean things to ourselves of, you know, I know what I should be eating. I know that I should be exercising more. I know I shouldn't be snacking so much after dinner. I'm just not doing it. I'm so frustrated that I'm lazy, that I don't have motivation, that I don't have any willpower. And, What it boils down to is that you are lacking the belief in yourself that you can control what you do, that you, that what you do even matters. And when you're feeling that lack of all of those things, like why bother even setting goals in the first place? Because like, it's not up to you whether or not you hit them. So when you don't believe that you have the capacity to change, you're not going to make much progress. So she says that confidence is the issue, not ignorance. And that's something that can help you build your own confidence is advising other people. And they did some some studies where the people that they were looking at either offered advice to other people or received advice and found that the people who offered advice were more motivated than the other way around. So this is something I've seen in clients when they start to make, you know, kind of enough of the noticeable progress, whether it's just in how they're showing up, their their mood, their energy, their confidence, that sort of thing, or the physical changes of like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? That it feels so good when somebody that you care about asks you 
you know, what are you doing? Or can you help me? And you can then share what you've learned. And that helps re-cement the things that you have learned. And it helps you kind of elevate your self-concept that you're like, oh, well, I must know, I must have some idea of what I'm doing or this person wouldn't have asked me. So um, you just kind of level up how you think about yourself. So she talked about forming an advice club where you can consult with other people and kind of think if, you know, in, in these examples, you know, some, someone else is struggling with this, this problem that I can probably relate to too. What advice would I offer them? And I've noticed this in, in the group calls that we offer where our clients have the opportunity to bond with one another, to share, you know, what's going on with them, the things they're struggling with, the things they're doing well. And it's so nice to see each other you know, see these, see these women kind of jump in with their own advice clubs of, I experienced something similar, this is what worked for me. And not only does it benefit the recipient, it also benefits the giver. Because hearing yourself say those things out loud reminds you of the thing you accomplished, of what helped you, and just kind of helps helped reaffirm that thing. Um, another thing I know everyone will be able to relate to is what she calls the what the hell effect, where small failures can lead to downward spirals in behavior. So it's basically like, well, I already blew it. So what the hell? I might as well blow the rest of the day. Very relatable. I know for all of us. Um, And what happens is that tiny mistake ends up just like totally tanking your confidence. So she used a term that if you guys golf, you'll be familiar with um, called mulligans. And to allow yourself a couple of mulligans each week to avoid that what the hell effect. So I really like that idea. We're based on a mulligan in golf. I might butcher it. Gray will listen to this and he can, Gray, you can get home and tell me if I'm wrong. Um, so I'm pretty sure a mulligan is when you are hitting the, bo- hitting the ball off the tee and you just like totally butcher it. It goes in the water or in the woods or like barely dribbles off the, um, I don't know, the, the box, I guess. Um, and basically you call a mulligan and you just get like a do-over. Um, so I love the idea of just calling mulligans on yourself where instead of that cookie, I'm, as I'm recording this, I'm, well, you won't hear this until I don't know when, but um, I'm recording it and I'm looking at a gingerbread house. So that's what time of year it is. Um, so instead of, you know, nibbling at the gingerbread house and then being like, dang it, I didn't mean to do that. But now that I have, I might as well have the Christmas cookies that I've been avoiding and I should see if we have any chips. And I wonder if there's any ice cream because, you know, I've already blown it. <laughs> if instead you had, you know, the the very unsatisfying roof of your gingerbread house and then just like, Give yourself a mulligan. <laughs> like, oh, nope, do over. And just wipe the slate clean and moved on. Imagine how less disruptive and damaging, how much less disruptive and damaging that would be than if you went down that familiar road. So if you guys start muttering <laughs> mulligan under your breath, <laughs> tell me, um, because that's awesome. But I think this is such a, it's a good way to infuse a little bit of humor and also stop a very familiar cycle from continuing to play out over and over. She also talks about making allowances for like explicit allowances for emergencies. So instead of getting into that really rigid mindset of, you know, I said that I was going to work out on Wednesday at 7 p.m. And then wouldn't you know, I had to you know drive my kid to the ER because there's a pee up her nose. And now I can't work out and I'm a failure because I didn't follow through on this commitment to myself. Actually, like recognizing this is an emergency situation. I'm not going to I'm not going to take the L on this one. 
Um, and that it just prevents that all or nothing mentality. It prevents the rigidity. Um, and lastly, to reframe the way you think about quote unquote failure. I've been listening to a ton of business podcasts and all of these incredibly successful entrepreneurs. I'm talking like tens, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, um, just incredible financial and and career success. And they all talk about how much they've failed and how they just don't really see it like that. It's just... It's just a learning experience. Um, So instead of getting derailed by the truly unavoidable disappointments, just chalk them up to, okay, I learned something here. Okay, um, number six, create, uh, cultivate your social circle. So this one really can't be understated. And probably at some point I will do a a standalone episode on, you know, who you surround yourself with. But we've talked before about how the wrong people will will pull you down faster than the right people will pull you up. And that you need to surround yourself with people who buoy your belief in yourself, in your potential, and who support your goals. And this is why I'm so adamant about the community aspect of our coaching and the, the group relationships and things like that. Because you may not necessarily have support in your real life. And while that's unfortunate, and, and yes, there are probably ways that you can go about seeking it out. It also, you know, is much easier to find that social support via the internet where there are so many people at your fingertips, many of whom are on the same journey to you. So she talks about how norms, like social norms, create pressure to conform. So that it's really important to be in good company if you want to achieve big goals. This is why I've, I've started, I've cut out almost all of the fluff in my podcast listening. I still listen to normal gossip because it's hysterical. Um, But very mostly, I've decided that it's such a good opportunity for me to learn from very, very smart people. And although I'm not surrounding myself with them physically, if like I was saying at the beginning, if this is what I am polluting my brain with, then that's going to create a norm, even though it's not around me physically. If the norm is I'm constantly hearing people talking about, you know, how I built this successful business and I created this charity and I did this thing and I helped these people, if that just becomes the norm of what I hear day in and day out, that's going to make it that much easier to do the same and succeed in that way. She talks about using the copy and paste method where you watch people who have accomplished the goal that you want, and you basically imitate their methods. I do want to say that I think you have to take this one with a caveat, and you need to be vigilant about whose methods you're copying and pasting, especially on social media, because there are a lot of disingenuous people. There are a lot of people who are straight up lying, being deceptive intentionally. Um, There are people who are well-intentioned, but doing things that are unhealthy, both for them and for you, or maybe are fine for them, but wouldn't be for you. Um, So I do think with health, that is something, and with business too, I guess. I mean, you could look at somebody who's very wealthy and making a lot of money and realize, well, they're doing it by scamming people or, you know, skirting the law, kind of living in this gray area, and that's not how you want to do it. So be discerning in whose methods you're copying and pasting. But for example, Meg and Casey and I were talking recently about, you know, our, our social media and what do we what do we convey on there and how important it is to be walking the walk, showing, you know, we're we're telling you guys to get your daily steps and do your strength training. We're doing it too. We're telling you guys get in your fiber and your protein. We're doing it too. We're meeting our bedtimes. We're following through on our commitments. 
So when you find the people who you trust and who you feel like, okay, they are, they're living the lifestyle that I want to be living, start picking up on not necessarily the exact specifics of, okay, well, Meg wakes up at 6.04 PM and she gets out for her walk and she walks 7,500 steps. And then she comes back and she has one cup of coffee. Like we're not talking, like, don't go like, um, swim fan outside her window, and, like try to get the inside scoop. But just generally speaking, like what are the big rocks that the successful people are doing. It's going to look different for you. Um, and I'm going to get into that in a second, but you can take a look at, okay, what are the, what are the general methods that they're using? How does that apply to me? Um, she also talks about the taking an active approach to gathering info and actually finding strategies for yourself rather than being given, given them. So getting ideas from your peers. Um, and I think this is really interesting because we have tons of resources available to our clients, but I think posting in our Facebook group and kind of crowdsourcing, um, even like from our recipe database, you could go in, search, pick something and, you know, have it be perfectly good. You could also post and say, who's tried a good recipe from the database recently that you would recommend. And you're going to get, you know, real-time advice from people who are like you. And you're going to be more likely to try something if it's coming with a, you know, a recommendation. Um, she also mentioned that we're more influenced by observation than by advice. And I think we can probably all think of examples in our lives where we've either given or received advice, not taken it, and then seen someone else do it, and then we do the thing. I know it probably happens all the time in um, you know, marriages or um, you know, that sort of like adult, adult dynamic where like you don't want to hear it from your spouse, but you see you know, the neighbor do it, and you're like, oh, I, I should try that, which is very frustrating, I know, for everyone involved, um, and I'm guilty of it too. Um, but you know, similarly, sometimes the, as coaches, sometimes we'll say something to a client or on a group call or things like that. And it feels like it sort of falls on deaf ears. And then uh, a fellow, you know, a peer will turn around and give the exact same advice. And it's met with like, oh, wow, great idea. And everyone tries it. So um, sometimes just kind of observing is more impactful than being told to do that same thing. Um Okay. Was there anything else? Um, okay. So let me move on to the last one. Um, so being vigilant. So this one is, I think, one of the, I kind of buried the lead here. I think this is one of the most important pieces of this book, maybe of any of the books that I've read. And I don't want to understate the importance of it. She talks about how the internal obstacles to change don't just go away. And I've talked before about how so much of what we think are personal shortcomings or weaknesses are just like us having a human brain that is, you know, designed for survival, <laughs> that we, for evolutionary reasons, our brains look for the negative in situations. Why? Because we want to stay alive. We have to be alert. We have to look out for those threats. And because we're no longer living in caves, dodging tigers and stuff like that, our, you know, what, what our brain defines as a threat is much different than it was before. Our actual survival is very seldom on the line, um, but our brain is still trained to pick up on what you know perceived threats, what could potentially be be a threat. So, um, all that to say, you know, if this is how your brain works, congratulations. We all have one of them, and we are all the same. <laughs> um, so, the obstacles to change aren't just going to go away, and it's normal to fall out of these habits without upkeep. And I think this is what so many people are missing with the transition to maintenance is 
your health needs to be a priority in your life forever. It takes daily, weekly, monthly, annual commitments from here on out. Just because you reach your weight loss goal or you get off the blood pressure medication or what you know you accomplish the, the physical thing that you were training for, you don't get to stop. And that's that is one of the most important shifts that needs to happen, I think, is how do I get out of the mentality of having an end in mind? And how do I just start thinking of this as this is just part of who I am? This is something that I'm going to do day in and day out until the end of time. And she refers to it as we have to treat change as a chronic, quote unquote, problem, not a temporary one. So creating lasting change is not like putting a Band-Aid on your boo-boo and it goes away in a few days. And then you're like, oh, I don't need to worry about the boo-boo anymore. It's more like the chronic you know, constipation, or I don't know why that came to mind, um, or, you know, anything that requires ongoing maintenance. So she talks about how we have a tendency to use the tools that I've just walked through per, uh, temporarily, that we all want to think that we're above them. Oh, I shouldn't need to do that. I shouldn't, you know, I should, at this point, as far along as I am, I shouldn't need to you know, have these self-imposed constraints. I shouldn't need to use a cue to remind myself to do the thing. I shouldn't need to bundle my temptations anymore. I should be able to do it without. And we stop doing the things that help us be successful. So she talks about using these tools permanently or until you have reached a point that they really do feel like second nature. Um, And then to remember that things are always in flux, that sometimes your obstacles are going to shift and that you need to adopt a new strategy. So that's that means any habit you set, no matter how deeply cemented it feels like it might be right now, it's never permanent. It's always vulnerable to be to be disrupted. And if you've ever experienced like a major life change where you've moved or you've changed a, a job or you know, had some sort of major transition, sometimes you fall out of habits you've been in for years and then struggle to get back in them. And you're just really kind of having a hard time with it because you're like, I, you know, for five years I was going to this gym and I went every morning. And now the problem is I work on the other side of town. I don't drive past it anymore. And it just totally threw me for a loop. Now I haven't been back in a year. Um, so recognizing that we need to tailor our approach to what's going on in our lives at this moment. And this is why I'm so adamant about building skills and developing tools because that's what's going to help you be successful long term. It's not to say this one strategy that I'm using right now is going to help me be successful forever. It's saying this one strategy that I'm using right now is helping me be successful right now. And also, I am of the mindset and I am of the, you know, I am in possession of the skills to shift strategy when I notice the red flags indicating that I need to and I know that I have what it takes to figure out that new thing based on what's going on. Um, so, you know, really talking about how once you get the ball rolling, it is easier to keep going, um, but that you do need to understand kind of the, the quote unquote opponent, which is you, um, and that your approach needs to be tailored 
to you. So anything when you're looking, like you're saying, when you're looking at other people to kind of copy and paste their methods, you're doing that through the filter of how does that apply to me? Not just direct copy and paste, do exactly what they're doing, even if it's totally impractical, um, but more so what can I learn from that? And you know, in what way can that be incorporated into my life? So you guys, that in that went much longer than I was expecting. Um, that in a very large nutshell is the book How to Change by Katie Milkman. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Live Diet Free Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to them all, I appreciate you being here. One way you can help this podcast succeed is to subscribe, rate, and review it. If you don't mind doing those things, I would love to thank you with a copy of our weekend survival guide designed to help you have weekends you enjoy that don't set you back from reaching your goals. Just send a screenshot of your review to admin at estheravant.com and we'll send it over. And don't forget to check out estheravant.com slash coaching for all the info about our Gone for Good coaching program designed to help you develop the confidence, commitment, and consistency necessary to make reaching your health and weight loss goals inevitable. Our three-part framework helps you learn and master the exercise and nutrition big rocks, provides comprehensive support and accountability, and teaches you how to take compassionate ownership of your results. With both group and one-on-one options, we have a Gone for Good package to suit your needs and help you overcome every, every obstacle between you and the weight loss you're after.